0: How many of you can think back to your middle school and high school days? Remember how challenging those days were? Like, how many of you want to go back to being in middle school? That was an awkward time. It was now, I know some of you, maybe you were a little bit better than me, but I was a messed up little child. So I spent my middle school and high school years really trying to figure out who I was. Like, what would make me be complete as a person? So I went through a number of phases. I went through a phase where I took every little... A quarter I could find, and I'd go to the store and I'd buy candy. And so I went to my middle school and I wanted to be known as the candy man. Like, if you needed a fix, come see me. I'll hook you up. And I was just dishing out candy. And then the school principal said, hey, you're getting, you're taken away from our uh, afternoon, like, like, when they're selling stuff. And so they wouldn't, wouldn't let me give out candy anymore. That, that didn't work. So then, then uh, one of the TV shows I grew up watching was Saved by the Bell. Yeah, some of you Child of the 90s, you remember that show, Saved by the Bell, and I was going to be like Zach. He had this like California surfer vibe, and I'm like, I'm totally going for that. The problem was, is I was a pretty pale white guy who had never been on a surfboard before, so all I had was the Beach Boys, just again and again listening to the Beach Boys. Uh, That worked for a little while, it just, it, it didn't work, it didn't fulfill me. Then I became a freshman in high school, and I realized, hey, I was a pretty good wrestler, Maybe, maybe I'll be fulfilled. I'll be, I'll be satisfied if I become a jock. And I pursued this until my sophomore year of my high school career. I had a rock climbing accident and shattered vertebrae and I lost my wrestling career. No longer cut I, I know some of you are thinking, you were a jock? I wrestled lightweight. I was the skinny guy on the wrestling team. It was great. I've tried all sorts of things to complete me, to make me feel satisfied. What is it for you? What are some of those things that you've sought to, to complete you, to satisfy you, to make everything right? Uh, maybe, maybe it's something in your workplace, you know, being successful. Maybe it was getting a college degree. Maybe, maybe it was a relationship. You thought, well, if I just get the girl, she'll complete me. Or the guy, he'll complete me. Or maybe it's, you know, if we just have kids, if we just have enough money, if we just, whatever it happens to be, and you think, if I can just get this, then I'll be satisfied and content and complete. In fact, in the late 1800s, there was a guy by the name of George DeLong, and he had that same longing that we have. He's like, I want to be complete. And so he had this idea, if I could do something big for my country, then I would be set. So he decided he was going to take a ship and sail to the North Pole and claim the North Pole for the United States. Now here's the thing. Back in the late 1800s, there were the map makers called the cartographers. And they believed that the North Pole was not fully covered in ice. They believed that if you could get through this little ring of ice around the North Pole, you'd find this smooth, calm waters, kind like, kind of like the Caribbean, some just beautiful place. And so they, they made these maps that showed the North Pole being this beautiful place, despite the fact that multiple expeditions had been to the North Pole. And guess what they found? Ice. They'd all been turned back because of the ice. Well, DeLong said, I'm going to do this. So he got a crew of 28 people and a ship, and they set sail for the North Pole. And they were hoping to find maybe just a gap, maybe a gap in the ice that would lead them to these calm waters. And when they arrived, guess what they found? Ice. Ice. They found a ton of ice. There was no gap to the North Pole. To, to the Pole. There's no, there no secret uh, port. They had to come to grips that either they had been duped by somebody or they were following faulty maps. In fact, with Day long, what happened is while he was searching for this gap into the North Pole, the ice pack came around his ship. And they all had to abandon the ship. All 28 of their crew had to abandon the ship. And they're trying to make their way to Siberia until the crew got separated. And some of the crew made it to Siberia and survived, but DeLong and a few others, they died of starvation on the ice. Their search for completeness. And they had this longing to be complete, to do something big. And the wrong maps cost them their life. And that question I want to ask is, what are the maps that we are following after? What are the maps that we are, are, are trying to follow to find meaning, to find completeness and satisfaction in our life? There's a theologian by the name of James Smith, and this is what he said. He said, culture often sells us faulty and fantastical maps that lead to the good life. They paint alluring pictures, and they draw us towards them. And too often, we stake the expedition on our lives on those maps. Setting sail with every sail hosted. And we do so without thinking because these maps work on our imagination rather than our intellect. It's not until we are shipwrecked that we realize we have trusted in the wrong maps. Uh, this month, here at Restoration Church, we are celebrating moving into this new building. This is our fourth week in here, and it's been uh, fantastic. Uh, one of those things, we are still clearly working through some issues as we transition to this building and figuring some things out, so appreciate your grace as we uh, are still getting better at this building. Uh, we are so thankful for it, and we figured as we celebrate this new building, it's fitting for us to talk about who we are as a church. And so we're in a series that we're calling Family Values. These are the values, the characteristics that we want to define our church, we want to be known for. We want these to be things on how we interact with one another and, and, and what we are trying to accomplish as A church, these values are important because when people walk in our doors, when people walk in the doors on this side or that side or wherever they come in, we want them to feel something different about here. And we hope it's because we live out these values. So today, the question is what maps are we following for us to know God and to experience all that God has in our lives? In fact, if you were to go on Google, you could find a lot of answers know God and how to have a life of satisfaction. In fact, everybody you talk to, they have an opinion about who God is and about how to have a godly life. There's thousands of opinions about that. In fact, Scripture, I think God knew that there's going to be all these different opinions about him and how to live. And so he warned us in his word in Second Timothy. He said, the world, our culture, they're going to have itching ears. They're going to accumulate for themselves and platform teachers who suit their own passions, who turn away from the truth and wander into myths. He said, Be careful because there's gonna be teachers that are gonna suit their own passions. They're going to trust the wrong maps, they're gonna point us to the wrong maps. And so that question then becomes well, how do we, how do we know God? How do we know the will of God for our lives? And this is our value today. A couple of values we've talked about we've talked about being a church that loves outrageously. We've talked about being a church that is a a gospel people. And today our value is we are a biblically rooted church. We are a place that is serious about the word of God. So we're in the book of 2 Timothy, the passage that uh, Pastor Jake read for us this morning. In 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to a younger apprentice. He's got uh, an assistant, a younger leader. And he's writing this letter to instruct him on, on how How Christians can survive during stressful and pressure-filled times. In their day, as well as our day, uh, people found themselves easier to worship ourselves than it is to worship God. It's easier to focus about me and what I want instead of focusing on what God wants. Paul knew that people were, were, arrogant pride was going to be a constant. He knew that we would uh, struggle with ungratefulness. Uh, Paul knew that uh, we would be slanderous and heartless towards other people. You hear some of these characteristics from the Apostle Paul and you're like, hey, that sounds like our day and age, does it not? He knew that we would be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Paul knew that our passions would lead us astray from God instead of leading us to him. And so Paul writes to Timothy, and because we have the word of God in front of us, he writes to us as well to say, Hey, there is a map. There is a map that will teach you how to know God and how to live for God and to experience all that God has for you. The map is not found in a philosophy. It's not found in our politics or our nationalism. It's not found in our emotions. It's not found in a prophet or a leader. It's found in Scripture, the Word of God. And so today... In the passage we're studying, there's going to be four things that we learn about the Bible. So let's jump in. Second Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Paul says, but as for you, again, Paul is contrasting the culture who loves themselves and whose passions have led them astray. Paul says, as for you, continue in what you have learned and what you firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it from. Part of the background for Timothy is Timothy had a grandma by the name of Luis. Luis, Luis, Luis. I don't know how you say the woman's name. Luis, I don't know. He had a grandma, and she was a Christian. She came to know Jesus, and she passed her faith down to Timothy's mother, whose name was Eunice. And Timothy grew up listening to his mom and his grandma talk about Jesus, talk about the grace of God, talk about Jesus accomplished on the cross. And so Timothy believed that as well. And what's interesting is you have this family where you've got three generations of the family that are completely different. Something has happened in them. What has happened to change their life? Well, here's what it says Paul says in verse 15: From childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. You know what those are? Those are the scriptures, that's the Bible. He said, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings that are able to make a person wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. See, what changed this entire family? What changed the the future of this entire family? The Bible. Simply put, Scripture. But what's more important is I want you to see that Paul hones in on, on something really important here. Because sometimes we look at the Bible and we're like, man, it's this big book. There's all these other books in the Bible, you've got like Genesis and Exodus and, and all those other names and some of those weird things and a bunch of different authors. And the question then becomes, well, how do, I, how do I make sense of the Bible? There's all these stories and all these things going on, and I don't quite get it. Well, how many of you have seen the movie uh, Endgame, the Avengers Endgame? I, I know some of you are like, I remember I gave up like seven hours of my life to watching that movie. You watch and you're like, is this thing over yet? It just keeps going. Avengers was the 21st movie uh, in the Marvel series. And what's amazing about that movie series, all those movies, over the course of 10 years, they are telling a single story. They tell one story, and its kind of culmination is in Endgame. It's kind of like, here's the culmination of this whole story. You realize that is what the Bible is? The Bible, there are 66 books written by 40 different authors, all inspired by the Holy Spirit. these All these authors, they wrote on three different continents over the period of 2,000 years. But what we need to know is the Bible is just one story. And it, let me tell you a secret. It's a story, it's not about you. It's a story that's not a self-help book. It's not a book full of good advice. The Bible is one story and a central theme that is all about salvation salvation. Through Jesus Christ. That is what that is what the Apostle Paul just said to Timothy. You've been acquainted with the sacred writings, able to make one wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. See, every book of the Bible, you look at the, every book of the Bible points. Genesis is about Jesus. Exodus, Jesus. Leviticus, Jesus. Joshua, Jesus. The Psalms, Jesus. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus. Second Timothy, Jesus. Revelation, every one of the books of the Bible, they all point to the central theme. About salvation by faith through Jesus Christ. In fact, as our elder team, our leadership team here at Restoration, as we've been talking about sermon series, one of the sermon series that we're, we'd like to be able to do here at Restoration is called The Story. And the story looks at the meta narrative of the whole Bible, where we look at every book of the Bible and see, hey, Jesus is the central part of this story when you look, read through Scripture and creation and fall and, and redemption and, and restoration, from beginning in end, Genesis to Revelation, it is all pointing for us to place our faith in Jesus for salvation. And so this is how Paul starts. Paul says, listen, the Bible is one story with one theme, and that is salvation through Jesus Christ. But there's more. Here, here's what Paul says in verse 16. He says, all Scripture is, Is breathed out by God. And that's an interesting phrase. That's not something, that's not a phrase that we use very often. What does he mean then when he says all scripture is breathed out? Well, you know, when it's cold outside, this week was cold, that bitter cold on Tuesday. Like when it's cold outside, and you go outside, you can see your breath, right? And that is how we speak. When we breathe, conditioned by our heart, it expresses itself through words, right? So we, we breathe out our words. Scripture is literally God's word that has been breathed out to us. He's revealed himself. And as we see his words, we see the very heart of God because it comes from his heart through his breath, displayed in words for us to see. Now, I know some of you are going to object and say, okay, you say that this whole book, Is written by God. It's it's God's breathed out word. Well, how come there are 40 different authors? How come there's different authors with different personalities and different backgrounds and different circumstances? How can you say this is God's word when all these other authors have written it? That's true. But I want you to see what uh, the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, No prophecy has ever been produced by the will of men. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, the words of Scripture, what we have right here, these are not just man's words. These are not man's opinions. These are not human wisdom. These are words that are literally breathed out by God. And those authors that are recording things down, they are carried along by the Holy Spirit to write the words that God is speaking. That's what makes the Bible uniquely trustworthy and authoritative. Because we know that God, we know God is the creator of the universe. He is fully trustworthy. And as he's given us his word, his word then becomes trustworthy. God is authoritative in our world. He's a God of creation. He knows all things. He's all powerful. In the same way, his word then is authoritative. See, this morning... As we talk about the Bible, I'm not trying to convince you that this is just a, a good book. If you want a good book, I'll tell you some good books. The book uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, a memoir of Phil Knight as he started Nike, that's a great story, a great book, highly recommend it. There's a book I read called Into the Abyss that deals with a plane crash in Canada. Great story. You want a good book? Read one of those books. This morning, I'm not inviting you into a book. I'm inviting you into the very heart of God, right here, that he's given us a map, a guide, so that we could know him, so we could find life in him. That is what the Bible is. It's not just a good story. It is the very heart of God. So Paul says, hey, you need to understand the Bible is one story, one central theme about faith in Jesus, the Bible is, is breathed out by God. It's the very heart of God. And Paul is also going to say, even a little bit more, he's going to say, this is what the Bible does for us. Verse 16, Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. See what he said, what he just said is the Bible is kind of like a coach, Right? Like, coaching has become like a thing in our day and age, right? There's coaches you can get uh, to coach a sports team. There's a coach you can get for uh, fitness. You can have a a business coach, uh, a life coach. Uh, There are pastoral coaches that kind of coach you through uh, being a pastor. People pay a lot of money to have coaches in their life. And what do coaches do? Coaches are supposed to teach you. They're supposed to give you feedback. They're supposed to point out your flaws and show you ways that you can improve. The Bible functions in that capacity. The Bible is like a coach. The Bible teaches us so that we can know him and we can know what life in him looks like. See, here's here's the good news. Here's the good news. The Bible has not left us in the dark to figure out life on our own. Isn't that good news? The Bible hasn't said, hey, you go figure out how to do life on your own. No, the Bible, God has revealed himself for us. He has given us his word to teach us. God is the creator of the universe, creator of all things. He's saying, hey, I'm going to teach you how to live a good life. Right here, he's given us that. He's the coach of that capacity. He's able to teach us and answer all sorts of questions. Now, I know you're like, well, the Bible's going to answer all the questions. The Bible's going to answer where I go for lunch today? No, not quite. But, you know, as human beings, we all have the same questions deep in our heart, right? We all have those questions deep inside us as human beings. We have questions like, what is truth? What is truth? We have questions, uh, you know, like, what is ultimate? Where do we come from? You ever ask this question? What is wrong with humanity? I mean, you look at what's going on across the world and, and Ukraine. Do and You ever ask that question, what is wrong with mankind? Why can't we figure this out? We ask questions like, 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 what happens after we die? In the middle of all of that, we ask questions like, where is hope? What hope do we have? You know what the cool thing is? The Bible is the one book that answers every one of those questions. God's given us this book to teach us to answer those questions. You want to know what's important? The answer is here. Not only does the Bible function as a coach in that it teaches us? But Paul also said it reproves us, it gives us correction in training in righteousness. See, I love the fact that the Bible doesn't stop at reproving. You know what reproving is? Maybe you had that dad when you were growing up. You know that that dad that was always negative. You did this wrong, you did that wrong. Don't do it like this. This is wrong. And all you get is a negative. It kind of sounds like nagging constantly. Oh, you did this wrong. See, that is reproof. Don't do this. That's not the right way. But the Bible, but, but God doesn't stop there. He also corrects and trains in righteousness. So, so here's what God does He says, hey, that's not the way to do it. This is a way to do it. Hey, 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 that's going to lead you to trouble. Try this out. This is a better way. That's what scripture means when it says it is there for us for reproof and correction and training in righteousness. Praise God. He doesn't leave us grasping, but he fills in those gaps. He fills in the gaps that lead us to life. In fact, in this passage of Scripture, verse 17 may be my favorite verse out of all these verses. Because what Paul is saying, hey, here's the Scriptures. Here, here's the Word of God. The Bible is breathed out by God and is profitable for us for, for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness and then verse 17, so that the man or the woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. I mean, remember, remember how we started this morning? That question we asked. How do we become complete? How do we become content and fulfilled? How do we become satisfied and settled? And here, here's what Paul is doing. He's saying, Hey, hey, this is this is the Bible. This is a supernatural word of God that he has breathed out to us. It is a single story, a single story, all pointing to faith in Jesus. It is the greatest coach teaching us all about God and how we can live life well. And what he's saying is when we embrace the word of God, when we embrace the Bible, we submit our thoughts and our opinions and our lives to it. That is when we are complete. That is when we are settled. The Bible settles our life and our identity in Jesus. When we read the Word of God, when we study it, when we cherish it, we are equipped for every good work. We are equipped to live life. Essentially, the Bible is, is the map. It's a map to navigate us through how to live this life and how to get into eternity. I mean, when we think about how crazy this life is, how I many of you guys had some craziness this past week? You have some craziness going on around you, circumstances, relationships, finances at work, all the stuff happening over in Russia and Ukraine. It's crazy. I mean, we've got stress and we've got pressure. We've got all this stuff happening around us. How do we navigate a difficult world that we live in? How do we become people that are settled, people that are at peace, People that are content. Simply, this is what Paul would say for us this morning. It's through Scripture that we become complete and equipped for life and eternity. It is simply through Scripture that we become complete and equipped for life and eternity. Church, I want you to know that the Word of God is powerful. And what I'm asking you this morning, I'm asking you, is that we would make a fresh commitment to the word of God. Because I'll tell you what, there's nothing more dangerous, there's nothing more dangerous than a church or group of people who do not put a priority uh, to the word of God. In fact, we've already mentioned this. We already said the apostle Paul, he warned about our sinful nature. He said, this is what's going to happen. He said, we're going to have itching ears. We're going to accumulate for ourselves and we're going to platform teachers and leaders who speak in a way to suit our own passions they're going to make us feel good they're going to itch our ears they're going to they're going to deal with maybe our selfish nature and they're going to turn us away from the truth and point us to myths in fact the proverbs 14:12 says there's a way that seems right to man but its end is death see if we're going to find if we're going to know god if we're going to to find eternal life, and abundant life that God offers. If we're going to be complete and settled. It is when we've got to be a people that are rooted in the Bible, that love the Word of God, that read the Word of God, that submit ourselves to the Word of God. Sometimes we hear that message and we're like, all right, that's great. What do I do with the Bible? How do I do this? How do I, how do I be a person that, that, that roots my life and knows the Bible and lives by the Bible? I'm glad you asked that, because I've got a couple simple answers. Number one, we have got to be people who consistently read the Word of God. You see, the Bible is not one of those static books. Like how many of you remember back in high school where you were assigned to do a book report and uh, you'd read the book once, and then you're done with it. Check it off, done. Or maybe, maybe if you were like me, you didn't even read the book, you just found the Cliffs Notes version of it, right? You read everything you can from it. Hey, I got what I need. I'm done. I don't ever have to pick that book up again. Check it off. Well, here's here's what the author of Hebrews says. He said, The Word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. See, what happens is the more we read the Bible, the more we read Scripture, the Holy Spirit begins to open our eyes. The the the, the theological term is it illuminates our eyes. Where the more we read Scripture, the more Scripture meets us where we are and speaks, takes the word of God and speaks it into our situation. Like, how many of you, how many of you had this experience, you know, where maybe maybe you've known this verse forever, and maybe you're like, well, I've been a Christian for three months, and that's been my experience, that's forever. Or maybe maybe you've been a Christian for 20, 30, 40 years, and you've, you've known this verse forever, but then one day it's kind of like that verse just jumps off the page to you. And all of a sudden you're like, man, this is, I've I've never seen this before. Like, what's happening? That is because the Bible is living and active. God is opening your eyes to even more. This is why we constantly need to be people who are opening up the Bible, who are reading the Bible. Because the Bible will meet us where we are. The Bible continues to chisel off our rough edges. The Bible, when we're down and depressed, you know what the Bible does? It lifts our spirit. And probably the most important thing about us consistently being in the Word of God is we get to know and we get to have an even deeper and greater relationship with God, the creator of the universe, as we study the Word of God. So here's a question for you. Do you have a plan? Do you have a, a method for you to study Scripture, to read the Bible? I'll tell you, the simplest thing you can do, is on your phone. We all have one of these. Come on, we're all looking at uh, dogs doing cute things on, on, on social media. Some of you watch cats. I don't know why, but there's all sorts of fun things you can watch on your phone. You simply download the Bible app. The Bible app is free. There are tons of reading plans that you can follow on the Bible app. I love doing that. I find myself, rather than being and watching all those videos on social media, like I can lay in bed and fall asleep reading the Word of God. Although, what I found for me is I found I need to be in a physical Bible. Uh, I, I find myself, I, my attention works better when I'm in a physical Bible. So, hey, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, I've got this one that I'm doing this year. Five by five by five is going to take you five minutes a day. Five minutes a day. One chapter of Scripture. Just to simply be in the Word of God. You follow this plan for a year, you'll get through the whole New Testament. It is beautiful. Now, I know some of you, you, you're like, man, I'm so good. I read 40 chapters a day. You know, I'm really holy. Look how righteous I am. Listen, if that's you, praise God. But I don't want you to feel that pressure. I don't want you to feel the pressure like you've got to read for for an hour or read so much. Listen, volume does not equal blessing. Did you know that? The the volume of scripture you read does not equal greater blessing. That's why for me, I've chose to, to simmer back a little bit to deliberately read Scripture, to meditate on it, to think about what I'm reading, not just to read it to check it off the list. Oh, look, I read this many chapters. No, no, no. Volume does not equal blessing. Just spend some time meditating on the Word of God. So if we're going to make the Word of God a priority, we've got to read it consistently. The second thing we need to do is we need to submit to the authority of the Bible. We've got to... We've which means we read it, we actually have to do what it says, right? We read it, we actually have to submit ourselves to it. It's not just a book to learn a bunch of facts. I mean, I remember there was a guy that I used to interact with uh, down, by Earl, uh, down by our ministry center down on Yakima Avenue. He'd come out and he'd say, Kevin, Kevin, do you know how many chapters there are in the Bible? And I'm like, uh, I probably did at some point. He's like, well, there's this many. Did you know? And he'd have all these facts about the Bible, and I'm like, that's awesome. You know so many, so many facts. But are you actually living this out? Are you actually learning more about God? Or are you just learning a bunch of facts? Because I'll tell you what, I'm not necessarily concerned about learning a bunch of facts. I want to know God. And I want to have this book begin to change me. This is where James, James chapter 1, James is the brother of Jesus. And this is what James said. He said, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. In fact, probably one of the saddest things for me, social media is such a terrible thing. Oh, man, social media. When I go on social media, one of the sad things for me is I see see people that will just, uh, they view the Bible kind of like the book Shoe Dog, right? It's a good story. You know, and, and, and sure, I might get a, some bumper, thicker, bumper sticker theology or I find a really cool verse and I'm like, I'm going to throw that on my social media because then I'll look really spiritual. And people are like, well, look how spiritual that person is. He put a Bible verse on his social media when they're not actually living it out. You look at the rest of their posts and you're like, whoa, like, like these two things, they don't go together. See, the question is, does our life actually reflect what the book is teaching us? Are we allowing the Bible to change the way that we live? Are we allowing the Bible, and try this out, are we allowing the Bible to challenge the way that we think? I mean, we all, all of us, we think that we are the only one that sees the world right. Most of us are in that situation. We're narcissists. We see life right. If people would just do things my way, the world would be a better place. And so, the question is Do we allow scripture to challenge our thinking, to challenge our thought process, to challenge our worldview? Do we allow scriptures to redeem those rough spots of our character? Because when we are reading the Word of God and we're actually living it out, you know what we're doing? We're not just submitting to a book, we are submitting ourselves to God Himself. We are submitting ourselves. To God Himself. So if we're going to make the Word of God a priority. We've got to read it consistently. We've got to actually, uh, we've got to actually submit to the authority of the Bible. And number three, we kind of need to surround ourselves with people who are rooted in the Word of God. Kind of have to surround ourselves with other people who, who view the Bible like we do. You know, again, kind of the culture we live in. We get caught up in celebrity status, right? I mean, we love our celebrities. We love those people that are always in front of people. You know, they've got big platforms and everybody loves them. And so we find a charismatic leader and we're like, hey, they've got amazing quotes and they tell funny stories and they give inspirational speeches and they get our emotions all tied up and stirred. Listen, Paul has already warned us. He already warned us that there's going to be leaders They're going to suit their own passions. They're going to turn us away from the truth. In fact, remember what Paul said to Timothy. He said, from childhood, you've been acquainted from the scriptures. He said, from childhood, you've had a grandma and a mom who were rooted in the word of God, who took the word of God seriously, who have taught you, Timothy, the word of God. And what Paul just said is because you've had this, this grandma and this mom who were rooted in the word of God, who taught you the word of God. He says, now you've made complete. You are equipped for every good work. Listen, this is where I want to talk about us is a church. It is so important for a church. Listen, I don't know whether this is your church or not. You're checking us out. I'm thankful you're checking us out. We'd love to have you be a part of us. It is so important that you are in a church that proclaims Jesus through Scripture. My goal to come up here, and I've said this again and again, listen, if you're coming because you think I'm funny and you, gotta, you think I've got all the answers, I don't. I don't have the answers. What my job is simply to do is to come and read this book to you. That's my job is to come and say, this is what the Word of God says, now let's figure out how to live it out. And see, this is where restoration, we have prioritized that we are a place that is rooted in the Word of God. And our goal is that we will provide opportunities for you to grow with other people. So we do life groups. You know what a life group is? Simply a group of people who come together to say, How do we live this out? We've got this book. How do we actually put it into action? How does this book begin to change my life? How does it begin to change my work? How does it change my parenting? How does it change my marriage? We gather and we talk about it. We do Bible study here as an opportunity for us again to say, let's get around some people that take the word of God seriously. This is why when we come here, you don't hear me just preach on my ideas because, again, you don't want to hear my ideas. I'm I'm a pretty jacked up person, to be honest. We come and we preach through passages of scripture because I want the word of God to speak. I don't want you to hear me. I want you to hear God why is this all important? Why isn't it important that we read the Word of God on a regular basis? Why is it important that we submit to the authority of the Scriptures? And why is it important that we gather with other people who who view the Bible in this way? Very simply, because through Scripture, that is where we become complete and equipped for life and eternity. In fact, let me close with a story story by Dr. Emil Calliot, who was a longtime professor at Princeton Seminary. Uh, I should say Princeton Seminary. Growing up, growing up Emile was antagonistic to, his faith, antagonistic to faith at all. Anti-religion, anti-anything. In fact, he fought in World War I. And the atrocities of war, what he saw as a soldier, meant it furthered his conviction that religion would not satisfy man. Religion was not enough. Yet, despite having these, these, these antagonistic views of religion, he still longed for something to help him when times were difficult. So what he began to do is he began to make a collection. He collected quotes and stories that he liked, and he put them in a book, and he titled his book, The Book That Would Understand Me. Can you picture that? This notebook full of all these cool stories and catchy quotes and anecdotes and all this stuff. And one day towards the end of World War I, he was having a particularly difficult day, struggling. And he sat down to read his book. This book will lift my spirits. This book will make things better. And his heart sank. Because that book did not have the power to minister to him at times of pressure. His book, the book that understands me, it did not have the power to minister to him in times of struggle. Not long after that, his wife was walking in the town they lived in. She walked into a church. She'd never been to a church before. She walked in and saw a man sitting at a table. And she said, sir, do you have a French Bible? The man said, sure, I do. Here's my Bible. You can have my Bible. So his wife was walking around with this Bible. I was like, I don't know what to do because he told me when we got married, he made me swear that I will never bring up religion in his presence, ever Struggling with what to do, and she finally said, "You know, I'm going to have courage." She went and told Doctor Emil Calia, "Hey, I have this Bible. I went to this church, and they gave this to me." And Emil said, "Give me the Bible. I want to read it." He sat down, started reading the Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He read for hours, mesmerized by what he was reading. Finally, he looked lifted his head and he looked up at his wife. He said, At last, at last, I have found a book that understands me. See, it's through scripture. It's through scripture we found that we find salvation through Jesus Christ. It's through scripture that as he submitted himself, as he submitted himself to the Word of God, he found not only did He could understand the Bible, but he understood the Bible could understand him. And he found that settledness. He found that the Word of God equipped him for all that life had in store for him. So that is a testimony of the Word of God. That is what the Word of God does. That is why here at Restoration Church, we're going to be a people that are biblically rooted. You're not going to come and hear me tell you, hey, here's the best advice on how to live. You're going to come and hear every person who stands in this pulpit. is going to come and say, this is what the word of God says. Now let's figure out how to live this thing out. Because this is where the power is found. This is a book that understands you. It will answer the questions to life. That'll lead you to salvation in Jesus Christ. And it'll lead you to life in eternity. Let's pray.